people in the room. <laughs> Maybe silence is the uh, standard practice. All right. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, we'll be looking um, primarily at verses 1 through 13 um, today. But before we uh, start that, uh, let me open our time together in prayer. Gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do give you uh, all praise and honor and glory this day, this day that we uh, acknowledge your uh, rest from creation, um, the works in which you made all things um, from nothing and made them very good. But we also acknowledge uh, this day the, the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and that redemptive work that he accomplished on the first day of the week as he rose from the dead um, and uh, as he came into uh, new life, so also we have the hope of resurrection, the promise of resurrection um, through him who conquered the grave and sin. And we thank you uh, for the day, uh, for the fact that you set this day apart uh, for us to worship and remember who you are in your uh, creative and providential acts, but especially to celebrate uh, redemption and uh, that we are not just redeemed as individuals, but we are redeemed um, as a church, uh, that we are intended to be a body uh, that functions together, um, a, uh, the household of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, um, a pillar and buttress of the truth, as Paul calls it in your word. Uh, that's what you intend your church to be. So as we study the organization of that church today, help us not forget uh, upon whom uh, that church is founded and upon the principles uh, by which that church is governed, uh, the principles of your grace and gospel. Uh, we ask that you would teach us this morning by your spirit, uh, may it instruct us as we open the word of our Savior, Jesus Christ, um, as recorded in his church. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so uh, let me uh, read for us. I'll read the entirety of chapter 3, um, uh, but as I said, we'll, we'll focus on um, verses 1 through 13, the last uh, little section, verses 14 through 16, are kind of a uh, yeah, transitional, it kind of sums up what he's been talking about um, in, in this prior section, but it also moves us to forward to what we're going to study uh, in chapter four. So I just, you know, it's, it, it, it's literally one of those sections that could go either way. <laughs> um, and just because I think most of our time will be um, consumed by looking at uh, these instructions and qualifications for um, overseers and deacons that it, it might make sense to do it. But I'll go ahead and read it uh, today. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires the office of overseer, he desires a noble path. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. 
He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be thought of, thought well of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May his spirit instruct us in it this day. So last week in our study of the pastoral epistles, we examined chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, which we saw focused on the topic of prayer in the church. We talked about how uh, who we pray for reflects the nature of the gospel message, which is for all peoples, both the great and small, both the Jew and Gentile. We are to pray for all because God deserves, desires for all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Prayer is part of the way we serve and submit to the sovereign God. We don't know the future. We don't know the eternal destiny of other people, but God does. And he desires that we participate in the spread of the gospel by lifting up people in prayer without distinction. And as Christ taught, even praying for our enemies who hate us and those who persecute us. Paul also, in the second half of chapter 2, addressed the contentiousness, pride, and lack of submission that can afflict churches within, particularly as women strive for costly, visible status rather than quiet learning in the pursuit of godliness. Men must always live holy lives that avoid wrath and dispute, particularly in connection with prayer for others. Women are always to live in accord with their profession of godliness, um, dressing modestly and discreetly and manifesting a proper relationship to men as regards the question of authority. And as I was trying to think how to summarize the last part of chapter 2, um, I found this. Um, uh, um, Presbyterian theologian George Knight, um, who's got to be, he's still alive, but he's got to be, pushing 90 at this point, but um, anyway, um, uh, he, he's, I thought, gave a really helpful summary of just kind of the logical flow of the last part of chapter two, so rather than me trying to reinvent the wheel, uh, let me give you the wheel, <laughs> and someone else constructed it. 
Um, so Knight said this, the argument is as follows. Paul enjoins modesty and discretion for women's apparel, verse 9, indicates who should, what should characterize women's lives, the second part of verse 9, and returns to the spiritual adornment, good works that benefits their profession, verse 10. Next, he says that women are to learn, but leading up to another prohibition, he emphasizes that their learning must be characterized by quietness and submission, verse 11. Specifically, he orders that women may not teach or exercise authority over men in the Christian community and its gatherings, verse 12. As grounds for this insistence, he appeals to the authority relationship established between man and woman and the representative man and woman, Adam and Eve, by means of the order of their creation. The creation order is substantiated or illustrated by the great tragedy of the fall when leadership roles were reversed, verse 14. In conclusion, Paul reminds women of God's great promise to the woman in Genesis 3.15 that she would be saved by the means of her seed if she responds to that seed in faith, love, and sanctity with submission to God's creation order, i.e. with self-restraint, verse 15. That helps right there. Um, so after discussion of these kinds of things that disorder the church, you know, things that the church should be seeking to avoid, Paul in chapter 3 naturally turns to how the church should be governed or ruled. And uh, in chapter 3, he almost gives us um, the purpose of the letter as a whole um, in, in verse uh, 15. Um, if I delay, uh, I write these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Um, so in many ways, that's the purpose of this letter, giving Timothy instructions about how people should behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So we'll focus today on what that right behavior entails for these two offices, as Paul uh, describes them, of overseer and deacon. Now, I've told you one of the uh, distinguishing characteristics of the pastoral epistles is Paul's use of trustworthy or reliable sayings. Uh, if you'll remember back in chapter 1, we had that first one. Uh, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost. Um, and we spent a lot of time on that statement and uh, that trustworthy statement. And it's an excellent short summary of the gospel. It captures our relationship as sinners to our Savior by describing salvation in personal rather than abstract terms demonstrates the true use of the law to produce humility rather than pride. So as we come to the second of these, this sayings of trustworthy, um, this one doesn't seem quite as strict. <laughs> this one seems a little more, well, I was going to say more like bureaucratic sounding, but there may be more than a bureaucratic in that synonym, I don't know. Um, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So why is this statement um, need to be considered reliable, trustworthy, something that we should remember, um, you know, a short summary of something we should know? So why does anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Why is that a trust? 
<laughs> you know, should we give power to the person who wants power? <laughs> that typically we would say no to that question. <laughs> the, the the office should suit the man rather than the man suit the office. Is kind of a classic uh, question. But why in this case? Why would it be a desire um, uh, or aspiration for the office of overseer to be desired and to be kept? Yes, yes. Okay, that's why we should be trustworthy, but you know this saying is why the desire, you know, why is the desire, uh, the aspiration for someone to be an overseer in the church? That's the trustworthy statement. It's not that the the officer, it, the officer does need to be trustworthy. That's in the qualifications later on, but just the saying, you know, this is a true saying that we should rely upon. Yes, Ronnie. Okay, so it's putting an, uh, the emphasis, again, not on the person, but what the person is aspiring to. So what does it mean to be an overseer? You know, that this is something, uh, it's a noble aspiration because this is something uh, worthy. And as, as Bill said, you know, in terms of Christ has called us to do good works, that this is, you know, the work of the church is good and to be desired to be um, actively participating as in a leadership role in that um, in that doing of good works is that's a good aspiration yeah Mike Focus on the task and that this is a, a noble task. And I like the comparison you made there to, to if you have a military, you know, that um, it, it's an officer 
uh, you know, meeting with people in the Sabbath is is um, someone who is cast adrift on something financial. It isn't, you know, and as you think about, you know, these offices, these aren't people who are sitting back out of harm's way telling people what to do and talking to people about it. Um, as you think about what uh, what distinguishes Christian leadership, church leadership, um, uh, Christian or government of the church. Um, it's not the, the model isn't the, the creating positions that the people say is theirs in, in the position of authority, but the opposite. It's an inverted hierarchy. So it's, it's a noble task to sacrificially serve the church of Jesus Christ. Is Christ is the model of leadership in the church. He, he demonstrated his love for the church by dying for her. He didn't make everyone else die for him, <laughs> you know, or serve him. He came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for many. Um, that is the kind of noble task that this position of an overseer in Christ's church is called to. Dave, you have your hand up. Yeah, it's the, the focus is on the task. And and the reason you know, like we have this I think discomfort is we think, well, it's the focus is on this person has aspirations and uh, people who aspire to power are the people that really give me the speech that they actually attain power, you know, in a worldly setting. Um, but that's the thing. We can't come at it, governance of the church, with a worldly conception of power. And where it goes wrong, I would argue, in church history is when we take the world's concepts of governance and use them to rule Christ's church rather than the principles of theology Whoever will follow me will pick up a cross. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of principle of what service uh, in the church looks like. Um, it's leadership in the church is leading in service. You know, having oversight in the church uh, means being at the forefront of, of sacrificing oneself. And I'm glad you, as you think about this, because, you know, often we deal with these passages, um, you know, we, we often deal with this section um, when we're, you know, we feel that teach elders to be kids. <laughs> you know, that's usually when we study, like, we, 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 we need to, you know, the diaconate right now are a couple of men down. <laughs> you know, so we need some deacons. So, you know, <laughs> this is a trustworthy <laughs> saying. <laughs> we need some more deacons. Um, all the deacons are saying, amen, brother. Um, uh, but it's everyone, you know, the applicability of this list of qualifications are these are things you should all, 
personally, again, it's not just, oh, these things are, you know, um, the, you know, verses 8 through 13 only matter if I'm a deacon. So <laughs> this applies, you know, to three people in our church. <laughs> um, or, you know, the first part of it only applies to overseers or elders, as Paul calls them in other places. Um, so it only applies to Bill, Mike, Chris, myself, and Matthew. Um, or, you know, uh, Brennan here is also an elder in Trinity Church. So, you know, there's six of us <laughs> uh, running around. No, it's the, the office is noble, and the quali- we should all be desirous of having the qualifications of this office. But the way that as we look to this, this list, you know, it shouldn't just be, well, those people have it, I don't. <laughs> Oh, well, <laughs> you know, uh, I guess I can't be an elder. Um, no, it should, you know, the qualifications are something as Christian believers, we should all be aspiring to, even if we're never chosen, you know, even if we never become, even if we're not qualified in, in other respects, um, we should still be aspiring for these particular Christian qualifications. Because, again, um, you know, and I was thinking a lot about this, that the model for Christian leadership, um, you know, to, to govern in Christ's church, you know, the, it, it's not that different from what we're called to as individual believers. <laughs> you know, um, again, our model as individual believers is Christ. My model as a elder in the Presbyterian Church in Atlanta is Christ. You know, we're all kind of looking um, to... Um, to serve. Um, and again, the, the nature of, of Christian leadership is, is service. The, the nature of the Christian model of authority is not putting ourselves first, but taking ourselves second in order to put others first. Um, and then that is um, a different model than how power is exercised in the world. And again, as we think about how the offices of the church historian, uh, you know, I've studied the history of the church. Um, frankly, the offices of the church have been abused, I would say, for most of its existence, where people have been in positions of authority in the church, and they've been in it for their own selfish gain, rather than the kind of selfless leadership model that Paul is presenting to us. Yes, sir.
this is the temporal and in this temporal in the sense of in our time you know sort of your time you know any one person's life um, you know the end time governance of the household of God as Paul calls it later in the chapter and this is a serious thing a weighty thing and I, I was thinking a lot in this um, about uh, you know uh, our Sunday school guest Tuesday uh, that leads and speaks this week because uh, the word for overseer here is episcopos. So if you have uh, older translations, it probably says bishop. Um, you know, the ESV is, is, is you know, shaped by Reformed Presbyterian polity, and we don't like bishops, so we call them overseers. Um, but, you know, the word in, in the Greek is episcopos, you know. And, um, you know, thinking back to what, um, what he, you know, he said about, you know, um, serving or leading the church in a situation of, of persecution, um, in a situation where there is cost involved. And, um, and to have, you know, not just that huge personal risk, but, you know, to, to um, have all these people under him, you know, who he's shepherding, um, uh, that their life, you know, he's a shepherd of, of people who themselves, are at risk, and that is um, both physically, but also spiritually, because that's um, often, um, again, in the history of Christians in Islamic countries, often the danger isn't so much, um, you know, the ISIS kind of danger now where you're getting beheaded. The, the danger is this constant cultural pressure to abandon one's faith, and that is a kind of spiritual danger. And so the, the need to kind of faithfully shepherd people in that situation of, of not just open violent persecution, but this constant persecution and all these kinds of appointments to, to abandon the faith. And that is a position of tremendous uh, responsibility, um, tremendous um, intent. Um, there's a lot... Um, a lot laid on that person. Um, and you could see how, again, if, if Paul's writing this to Timothy, he might, you know, we, we haven't seen it too much, but as you go on through the letters to Timothy, you'll see a certain kind of humility on Timothy's part. Um, you know, um, not maybe fearfulness, but, you know, maybe a little anxiety, <laughs> a little discomfort uh, about certain things. And he needs to kind of be emboldened and you know maybe he 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 maybe he wonders sometimes you know is is this task worth it and so and again reminding one this is a worthy task that we should all be assigned for the qualifications that make us fit to do it <laughs> yeah, um, uh, you're exactly right that you're aspiring to something. And you know, again, we uh, I don't want don't avoid. I'm trying to avoid the whole discussion about how some of the churches that create offices for paramount officers there and how they handle positions of power. Um, but I think you're you're pointing us to more the the right principle here to sort of to remember that 
this is um, not just something, again, I, I might only serve for a certain amount of time, but this is my calling for the school of life. And, you know, I don't know, like, I wasn't elected to a, an internet service like with a Facebook or a <laughs> thing, which is, is, is daunting, especially when you're um, up until midnight seeing your daughter's play and you're getting up at six to finish your Sunday school lesson. <laughs> confession, true confession time. Um, you know, that uh, sometimes, it, you know, it, it could seem, um, yeah, overwhelming. Like, how much do I have to, to give? But the focus is on that, you know, this is your stewards. And these qualifications are worth having. Uh, and again, if you think about, um, you know, one of the things I, I was thinking about how to, to do um, this section today is, and I'm trying, um, I want us to think more on the kind of principle level, like these elementary questions, rather than the way we often deal with this passage, which is where you're just looking at the qualifications and then looking to see, well, this person <laughs> fits, you know, we're trying to, you know, do the checkbox thing. And what I think Paul, you know, what's, what's kind of deeper here is through this list of qualifications, Paul is giving us model of um, Christian living and leadership. Mike, could you have the next couple up there? Oh, sorry. I saw Luke over there. Frank. <laughs> Jessica wiped her hair. <laughs> it's an auction. Sold. Practical things, and again, Pat, you know, because we can't look, um, you know, at a person's heart. You know, we, you know, as we saw earlier, you know, and and you know, this is a situation where you know you can't do background checks on what what people have just shown up in town. Like, you know, who this person is. You know, people are showing up, purporting themselves to be something, and how practically do you go about discerning, you know, a person? character and particularly their um, their ability to exercise um, power in Christ's church. Um, and it, it is this, this eminently practical Like, as Paul's already demonstrated that authority, like, he cast someone over the table <laughs> in chapter one. That's power. Um, but he's doing so with the purpose of serving that person. And he's doing so so that he'll learn that, you know, won't learn not to blaspheme. You know, so it's, he's doing it, again, not in a worldly manner of power uh, or exercising power to build himself up, um, you know, to become more powerful. That's not the point. He's exercising power for the purpose of serving the church. Um, and so that's, you know, it's, it's an office like worldly offices in that there is there's power attached to being in this position of authority, but that power is not exercised in the manner of the world. 
the purpose of exercising power is to serve God. So it's the, the way it works. It's inverted. Um, usually in the world, people in positions of power use it to serve themselves. But in this case, you know, in the church, the church is put in a position of power to serve the church and others, even if it means talking to them and listening. Uh, it's not Harry Reid who goes into the Senate to make up for not coming out as Harry King. Um, you know, it's it's somebody, you know, it's Paul who's going on the journey saying he's, he's teaching and he's whipped and right now he's in prison. You know, the reason he can't come right now, he's in jail. Um, you know, I'm right, I hope to come to see you, but <laughs> I'm a little detained right now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> prison guards, walls, sorry. <laughs> um, you know, it, it involves cost. Um, rather than, than uh, you know, it can involve cost rather than gain for one's time. Again, it's the principle that um, it should be um, selflessness in self-augmentation, um, which is, again, if you look at the actor piece, you know, it's how do we know this person, um, you know, should be a, an overseer in Christ's church? You know, are they going to do it, you know, so that they can get drunk or, you know, to be violent? Um, some people, you know, um, happens a lot. You know, when people become prison guards, they don't have the authority to keep the prisoners. You know, sometimes people seek power for these wrong reasons. Um, uh, and, you know, as we look at the qualifications, again, the principle of what a an overseer in Christ's church should look like. Scott. ways it follows from, you know, we, we kind of yoga set the scripture with the false teachers in chapter one. He's about to turn to them again in chapter four. Um, and kind of in between those, he's sort of giving them a positive image of it. And, and when he talks to them again, the false teachers in chapter one, it's they lack humility. Um, they're there for pride. They're there seeking fame and glory um, rather than, you know, being in a position or being a teacher in order to advance the church um, rather than you know, to profit from their own pride. And when I see um, examples of, of churches that have, have gotten in trouble, um, how often, like, 
they they are still people and they remember what they they kind of are remembered but i remember that when i was really small and they they i weep over the situations that they were going through but at the heart of it they cried <laughs> the parties involved you know are there you know unwilling to 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 relinquish um you know whether it's a certain position you know a certain well, yeah, relinquish a certain position, and they, they're looking at the coffin of the church as something that they're entitled to, rather than they're there to serve Christ's church. <laughs> you know, they're not in a position, you know, to, you know, to be served, but they're in a position to serve. And if they, at this moment, are, are troubling the church rather than They're the cause of the dissension, you know, and sometimes, you know, things do make the church fall apart. You know, when they relinquish, you know, you know what, I've got to, you know, step out of this position of authority because I have a purpose for following this church person. And that takes a tremendous degree of humility and, and yeah, and eating, <laughs> you know, eating crow, I don't know, whatever, uh, <laughs> Again, I didn't go on precept much, but the brain is is working probably on sixty six percent of the power there. Um, <laughs> and maybe about sixteen percent more than normal. <laughs> there will be a crash later on. <laughs> um, uh, but you know, and I, you know, as I look at that situation, I, I I'm thinking to myself, you know. Um, one, if I was in that position, would I have the characteristics that I was kind of, you know, hoping that these people would exercise? Um, but two, what a blessing that would come from that model, you know, rather than, you know, selfishly clinging <laughs> to, you know, a person's position in the church to say, you know what, I, you know, I'm here for the church. Therefore, it is for the church's good that I let go. Um, what a again, modeling the kind of, of leadership that I think should be exercised in the church. Um, and as as we think about you know the context of, of these rules in the church, notice there's also the outside world watching. You know, we got that little um, glimpse at at the end of this sacramental overseer. You know, um, have you know have be well thought of by outsiders, and outsiders there just means you know other um, you know particular word he's using is clear people outside the church. So it's not just outsiders in, in the regular church, but they are there in in a sense called by scripture. Um, but you know what outsiders, you know, people not from the church, because those people are watching. Um, you know, if you think about. Um, you know, the warnings that are attached to these instructions for overseers. Um, the, the warnings aren't just on an individual level, but, you know, the, the warnings are, you know, having this person in this position, um, you know, destroy the church's reputation, not just, you know, these individuals by themselves, um, but, you know, the, the reputation of Christ's church 
Yes. Absolutely. That that just you know that they uh, you know aren't people who go out and, and cause dissension. And you know I, I can get into some of my past ministries, but I think you know the way sometimes um, we see churches um, witness you know is just does harm <laughs> to the to the church. But that we, you know, when we do it, it's to teach teach people. Our mission is to reach the world, but we need to do it in a loving manner. And sometimes that means taking a simple stand and saying, you know, you know, this is our sin. If you won't back down, I don't think that you need to stand here and protest your sin to God or your Bible. I think, you know, that kind of stuff. I think just damages the person that Christ says is not, you know, possessing the mind. So how we teach them, uh, the manner in which we, we live our lives is really important, not just for us as individuals, but for us as representatives of God's church. My Simmons College does not know the views of the people of Simmons College. They don't. But they know I'm a member of this body. And so um, I have no idea <laughs> what they think of this body. Because <laughs> um, they probably don't think about it. But I know if I did something particularly egregious, it would have blown up in their face. It would have been debated. It would have, um, and and to have we we've got to have that that mindset. So, I mean, I think I don't think it's a, a coincidence that chapter 2 and chapter 3 are split together. So, like last week, you know, um, you know Paul doesn't want a woman to exercise authority for her, her teaching specifically. Um, so, he's given that instruction. And then he gives these instructions where he should be in position of authority over the woman. Um, so, it it, and the way I often talk about this, it isn't a question of ability or qualification. It's a question of submission to the, to the word of God. Um, and we're all called to submit in some way. And as you said earlier, you know, these are qualifications we should all be aspiring to, but recognizing that only a few people will ever be in these positions. That means so anybody can still aspire to have these qualifications, but it takes a degree of submission to to sort of say, all right, um, I, I'm not going to be in that position of authority, um, but uh, but that's what God. I'm going to take obedience over um, over you know yeah. I will submit rather than passive, um, and 
one of the ways um, George Knight, uh, who I mentioned earlier, was one that was praying for him earlier. I like how he talks about it again. And it's the way Paul talks about it in Ephesians. Like the model for the, the husband is Christ. The model for the wife is Christ. Um, the model to be a leader is to uh, is, is to serve. <laughs> the model of submission is to serve. So it's, you know, um, it's not a, again, the way the world makes hierarchies. You know, one's better than the other. It's, as Knight likens it, it's, it's like the relationship between the father and the son. You know, um, it's not that the father uh, wasn't willing to to die <laughs> on the cross to submit to the humiliation of it, but that was the son's role. So his uh, compliment to you, Mr. Um <laughs> the word used for the different roles. Um, and and as you say, there are churches who define these things and. When he talks about said preface that churches interpret things differently, I thought, you know, I, well, these are these are instructions to bishops, <laughs> so why don't we have bishops? You know, church, some churches do have bishops and do have elders. Um, you know, um, there 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 are lots of different interpretations uh, to these passages. Um, I think, in the context of these two things being so close together that there's clear implications here uh, that, uh, and, it, and that we'll see, Paul has lots of leadership that, that women are doing and the ability for women to teach and serve one another. Um, you know, the New Testament does use the word diakonos, which female servants, um, do they have to have the authorized role to do that? office, but again, it's it's where these things um, these things describe both responsibilities and offices, and we can all take up the responsibility even if we don't have the formal office, so especially with this diaconal or deaconing statement. <laughs> um, you know, and that's why we, we translate it deacon in most translations to identify, well, we think he's talking about the office here, and that just is not going to, we're all trying to translate um, the same thing here, because there's responsibility, and there's title, and um, and how do we put these things together um, is really what what he's
how these verses have been uh, you know, variously interpreted. Um, and my, you know, again, this is the gospel according to Steve. So <laughs> because it's according to Steve, you know, feel free to throw it out and sort of rub your foot in the hot sauce with me. But, um, you know, I think our, the way we, and, but I, I believe, I'm, I'm Presbyterian out of principle, not just because God, I think I like you guys. But <laughs> I do like you guys, but I'm Presbyterian by principle because I, I think it's the model. Uh, you know, our teaching reflects what we trust in in the New Testament, um, and the way that um, you know, the way we have these two offices of elder and deacon, um, and they are both. At positions of authority, but they're separated by um, their responsibilities. And as Andre said, you know, the responsibilities of elders um, focus on the, the teaching and the spiritual governance of the church. And as we see the office, you know, if, if we look at the list of deacons, you know, why the three serve, you know, not just for the, you know, notice how with the deacons it's up in little deacon wives. <laughs> you know, wives are just necessary for the restoration of the deacon's wife, not elder's wife, but she's got free <laughs> to do whatever she wants. Um, you know, it's, it's you know, because deacons are entrusted with the funds of the church. <laughs> um, and so, you know, if you've got somebody entrusted with the funds of the church and his wife's going off buying new Cadillacs and he's out of a job at the moment, we say, you know, Jay, get the money for that BMW. <laughs> but we know he works for Actio, and <laughs> he works hard for his company car. Um, but you know, but that's the you know, as we think about the way the Presbyterian Church of America defines these offices, um, and I actually you know, um, uh, you know was kind of anticipating this. Um, if you want more information about how our church um, views offices, um, I have a website for the PCA Convention Council on offices of the church, and it just sort of gives you a nice, quick, biblical exposition of elders and deacons and the hierarchy around church relationships. So I would ask that, again, if that's of interest, get uh, Timothy's book on that, 1 Timothy, I think, chapter 1 through 7, but not (laughs) the PCA offices of the church, which is why I thought it would be good to have it in there. But that it's not, um, you know, deacons are seen as a, you know, that there, again, that there's some kind of hierarchy of service. And we are both serving Christ first with different rules and different considerings. And as deacons administer to the temporal needs, that has spiritual implications. As elders deal with spiritual needs of people, sometimes those spiritual needs have temporal circumstances together. So these are two interrelated um, interconnected things that both have the spiritual focus of making Christ's church function well. And if we look at the creation of the office of deacon in Acts, as Andre said, you know, serving on tables, well, they're serving on tables because he's the apostle to the Gentiles. Um, and it's the way that, you know, by um, the, the deacon, Today, you know, took care of the physical needs of the, the 
a witness to the Father, so a faithful witness to those outside the church. Um, so, so that they can see that there is this connection between what we profess and how we act. And what happens when we profess something and we act in a completely contrary way? We're hypocrites. And nobody listens to us. And they look for those somebody about the truth of Christ and they throw the crusades at them or, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, whatever is cast in, in, in the church, you know, uh, the, the Catholic uh, child of Jesus or, you know, just think of all the kind of dirty laundry that exists in our church, you know, understanding that the world has of Christianity that is a result of us not living uh, and, and seeking to aspire to these biblical standards and instead aspiring to live as living Christians, modeling live rather than modeling Christ. Okay, um, well, well, we'll take another stab at chapter 3 next week since, like, we got to one question <laughs> on my list. Um, so, uh, yeah, so maybe next week we can come back to Chapter 3 and, and parse out some of this detail. Um, but I'm glad we could kind of have this overall broad discussion. Again, I am also starting to go for kind of a general understanding of, of what Christian leadership is and often what the church is supposed to look like. Um, and then so maybe next week we can, we can get more into some of the questions that have been Gracious God, we do thank you for your church, um, and we know how often it's uh, troubled, um, how often it uh, can be racked with uh, tensions and dissensions and hurt feelings and strife. Um, so we pray uh, that you would continue to raise up uh, leaders for it who seek not their own good, uh, but the good of others that uh, even all of us would constantly be uh, motivated by this desire to put others before ourselves, to, to go into situations how, asking how we can serve rather than getting our feelings hurt that, that we are not being served the way we think we should be. Um, and what a different kind of community, a different kind of, of power this presents to the world when we, when they see us act and govern ourselves in accordance with the gospel message that we proclaim, in accordance with this precious testimony, um, this truth that we've been given that, um, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, including on the chief, um, and that it's a noble aspiration. these things go together, um, and when we split them apart, uh, we get into deep trouble. So keep bringing us back to that, that foundation. Uh, keep bringing us back to our need of you um, and how we are your servants, that it is your church, not ours. 
and that we belong to you, and that we trust you to guide and govern us well according to your word, and help us to um, to celebrate um, that um, order you created in the church and your work that you are doing in it. And uh, we pray these things, Lord God, in the mighty power of your spirit. Amen.